the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. God has shown it to them. They are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. They became futile in their thoughts and foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore God's given them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonour their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which aren't fitting who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of them who practice them. In accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honour and immortality but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek, there is none righteous. No, not one. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven, is where the apostle begins. But now, the righteousness of God is revealed. Paul has laid before us God's withering revelation of how things really are for you and me in our sin. If you've ever watched one of those shows on TV like Britain's Got Talent and you discover that it should have in brackets but not very much, you'll know that there are sometimes some excruciatingly bad auditions, the tone deaf who genuinely believe that in a year's time their wall is going to be covered in platinum discs. And once the judges have stopped laughing and given their verdict, the contestant is filled with astonished indignation. How can you possibly think that about me? That's you and me and our sin before God. But it's not a question of I've got talent. It's a a question of, but, but I've got righteousness. Or at least enough to pass the audition. But it doesn't say in brackets, not very much. God says, 
you've none whatsoever. None whatsoever. And, and in our sinfulness, we can find ourselves astonished with indignation at his judgment. Talk to people today about these things and you will often find them astonished with indignation that the Bible should dare suggest such a thing about them. But the reality is that the judge is right because the judge is God. And you and I are completely mistaken and self-deluded before him in our sin. And God's wrath and judgment and condemnation is upon us all. But now, verse 21, now, says Paul, now, with all of that clearly set before you, now, let me explain what the gospel is all about. So let's let him. And I want to ask you to look with me at verses 21 to 26. And we're going to do so in three sections under three statements. The first statement uh, is focusing on verses 21 to 23. And here's the statement. The righteousness you need comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness you need comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now when Paul says the righteousness of God is revealed, he isn't here talking specifically about God's own righteousness that he has in himself being revealed. Now, of course, God is righteous and God has revealed his righteousness. And what Paul is talking about here can only be true because God is righteous. But if you look at the, the opening phrase in verse 21 and then pin that to the closing phrase of verse 22, what you actually have is this, the righteousness of God is revealed to all and on all who believe. This is a righteousness that comes to you. This is a righteousness that comes from heaven to sinners. This is the righteousness which you and I don't have. This is the righteousness that you and I do need. And it's come from God to all and on all who believe. So Paul has something very specific in mind here when he talks about this righteousness which has been revealed. This God who is so angry with you in your sins, whose wrath is against you, is also such a God of mercy and compassion and grace that he provides that righteousness which you need. And Paul writes this in such a way that it can be presented to every generation as if this is something available to you right now and that you need to deal with this right now. And it is available to you right now. And it is something that you need to deal with right now. Now, he says, as you open a Bible, as you listen to someone explaining it to you. But now, 
today. You may know this today. You may have this today. You may get right with God today. Will you end this day right with God? And he says it's apart from the law, which doesn't mean that the law can now be ignored and thrown to one side. It doesn't mean that Jesus is abolishing the, the law so that we don't need it in any respect and that it no longer has any relevance at all. Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount says that he is the fulfilment of the law. He hasn't come to do away with it, he's come to fulfill it. What Paul means here is that it's not by your keeping of the law that you attain this righteousness. None of us have the capacity to be able to keep this law. That's what Paul was saying in verse 20. By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law simply exposes the reality of our sinfulness. It reveals just how useless we are at getting even close to obedience. Because as the Bible makes it clear, if you're trusting in obedience to the law, you have to be able to keep it at every point, all the time, for every minute that you've lived on the face of this earth. There's only one man who's ever done that. The Lord Jesus did obey the law. And he did so perfectly. It's his righteousness that comes from heaven for sinners. He, the law keeper, took upon himself the curse of lawbreakers, the just for the unjust, and a righteousness that we could never earn, that we could never merit for ourselves, is offered from heaven. For sinners. And Paul reminds his readers that this is heaven's good news, the gospel. This is that which was spoken about and promised all through the Old Testament. He said that in verse 2 of chapter 1. And as I began this series, we, we looked at that and in the second of these messages and how Paul says in Galatians that the gospel was preached to Abraham. And how Jesus says in John chapter 8, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Paul, this former Pharisee, this expert in the Old Testament, he could now see so clearly how all of his Old Testament Bible had been pointing towards and setting out and building up to this message of salvation. It's no closely guarded secret. It's been on the pages of Scripture for all who have the eyes to see. And now it's being publicly preached. And it is so today, all around the world, for those who have ears to hear it and the heart to receive it. 
How is it with your ears and heart this evening? And it's received by faith in believing in Jesus Christ. Faith and believing go together in the Bible. These truths are believed. But more than that, you understand that these truths are about a person. They're about the person and work of a man who is also God. And you place all of your trust in him because of what he has done for you. You believe that which is true about Christ and you trust him for your salvation, for forgiveness of your sins, for new life, for eternal life. It's because of all that Christ has done that God the Father is able to make this righteousness available to sinners from heaven. This work belongs to Christ. Faith is the instrument by which his accomplishments are received and owned in believing. You know him. You know him. Yes, you know about him. But more than that, you know him. And you trust him. And you abandon and deny yourself to him. And this is the message of God's salvation for everyone. There is no difference, says Paul. We're all in the same boat when it comes to this sinfulness. There's only one way of rescue, and that is Christ. All of us have fallen short of the mark. Fallen short of God's glory. God's glory is his perfect holiness and righteousness. And we have all fallen way, way short of that in our lives. And as has been said before, trying to claim that you've not fallen as short as someone else, it's like standing on a stepladder and boasting that you're closer to the sun than the guy next to you. It's a ridiculous claim. It's a pointless claim. It's a worthless claim. All have sinned. And this gospel is your only hope. And it's received by faith in believing on Christ. Have you done that? Is that your testimony? Do you have this assurance of this righteousness which God has revealed in the Lord Jesus. Secondly, and we're going to concentrate now on the first part of verse 24, it is God who justifies and it is his free gift of grace. It's God who justifies. Justification. Paul's going to mention this word 13 times from this point on in his letter. It's really important. In our sins, we stand before God guilty 
and condemned. It's a legal standing. It's like being guilty in a court of law. By rights, we should walk out of that court still guilty, because we are, and condemned, because we're still guilty, and with the due sentence and punishment announced for us to serve. That's what happens to guilty people in a court of law. But instead, we may walk out set free. How can that be? Well, because our sin and guilt has been taken away. More on that shortly. Because first, Paul concentrates on this righteousness that we need. This righteousness which is revealed from heaven, that instead has been put to your account. God looks at the Christian in Christ if you are saved. And believe it or not, God makes the same declaration about you in Christ that Pontius Pilate made about Jesus. What did Pontius Pilate say about Christ? I find no wrong in him. What's he supposed to be guilty of? Because I can't find anything. Now wait a minute. Can that be true? Just four verses ago, Paul is saying that no flesh can be justified before God. The very righteousness which is found in the Lord Jesus Christ is imputed, is a word that the Bible uses, imputed to the one who believes in Christ by faith. Christ's righteousness is reckoned by God to be your righteousness now as you stand before him. It's a bit like a deposit being credited into a bank account. And God now sees that credit in your account and that which has been credited into your account is the very righteousness of Christ himself. Who put it there? God did. And you are no longer condemned in his sight. God now sees only the righteousness of his son in you. And you, if you are in Christ, are declared by God to be condemned no longer. And you can say, Jesus and all in him is mine. Isn't that remarkable? What a message of salvation this is. And this is the basis of being right before God. Or not being right before him. If you still are condemned in your sins. And it was the rediscovery of these truths which fired up the Reformation in Europe 500 years ago. And here's a few things to remember. Your being justified 
If God has done this for you, it's something which either you have or you don't have. Being justified before God is something which either you are or you are not. There are no shades or degrees of justification. It's all or nothing. This is a once for all verdict which God declares over each one who comes to him by faith in Christ. It's a glorious declaration that God makes over the sinner. In Christ, righteous in my sight, all of grace, all God's gift. If you work for an employer, at the end of the month, as it is for most people nowadays, your employer is in debt to you. Because there's something that they are in possession of, which at the end of the month is rightfully yours. Your wages, your work has earned your wage. They owe you. You have every right to go and demand it from them. They are, um, they are under obligation to pay you for what you've done. This salvation of which Paul is speaking is not like that. This is God's freely given, undeserved gift. You could never earn it if God gave you the rest of eternity for you to try. If you could get to the end of eternity, you'd still be trying. God is under no obligation. Not because of something you've done. Because you haven't done anything but sin against him. But God has, in one sense put himself under obligation. Now listen to me very carefully here and don't misunderstand or misquote me. God, in a sense, has put himself under obligation in that he chose and planned in eternity past what it was that he was going to do for sinners. And he promised that he was going to do it. In that sense, God placed himself under his own obligation to show mercy and grace to sinners. Why did he do that? Because he's God and he's a God of mercy and grace. And he lovingly gives it as a gift. As William Hendrickson put it, God decided to deliver man from the greatest evil and to place him in possession of the greatest good. Isn't that wonderful? God decided to deliver sinners from the greatest evil and to put them in possession of the greatest good. 
which is to be in possession of Christ and everything that is found in him. And he did it freely. All of grace. The Christian's joy, the Christian's privilege, the Christian's testimony is this, to be found in Christ. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Philippians 3.9 The whole thing from start to finish is all of God. All his doing for lost, guilty, condemned sinners. Now, of course, these truths are repeated elsewhere. They're not confined to this section of Romans. But we see, even in these few verses this evening, the basis for some of those short statements which became, if you like, the slogan of the Reformers. Salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. And the scales fell from the the eyes and the mind and the heart of Martin Luther and then from countless more over the intervening years. And the insertion of that word alone provides a very key distinction. Only Christ, only by faith, only because of God's grace. The righteousness you need comes from God through faith in Christ Jesus. It is God who justifies and it is his free gift of grace. Number three, there is redemption and propitiation through the blood of Christ through faith. That's the end of verse 24 through to 26. It's amazing how you can come back to such familiar verses and keep seeing new things. It only struck me just this week, uh, whenever I've talked to anyone about the gospel, I tend to talk about people's need of forgiveness and go straight to the cross to speak of Christ's atoning death. But Paul actually speaks first of that righteousness that we need, which is found in Christ and then introduces the effectual work of Christ's death. Paul impresses upon people the awfulness of their state before God in their sin and of the need of this righteousness which they have, which can only come as God's gift of grace. He speaks of the blessedness of being put in right standing before God as opposed to being before God in condemnation. He points us first to the sinless life of Christ, the perfect law keeper. And then he brings his readers back to consider the question, wonderful, but what about my sins? What about my sins? Ah, let me tell you. 
says Paul. Redemption and propitiation through Christ's blood. Propitiate what? Get to that in a moment. Let's start with redemption. Salvation is all of grace. But our condemnation is what we have earned in our sins. The wages of sin is death. An awful price must be paid because of sin. For the one saved by Christ, that price has been fully paid on their behalf. And it's been paid by Christ. And this is what is meant by that term that some of you know, substitutionary atonement, big, long words. Christ has atoned for my sins on the cross as my substitute. It should have been me there, but it was him. Redemption is to buy back something which once was yours. This aspect of redemption can come across in a number of different kinds of ways. Here's a person who was once in good standing in the eyes of others, but then they've fallen into disgrace uh, and their friends have been betrayed and deeply wounded by what they've done. And then this person comes to their senses and and they realise what it is that they've done uh, and they have this burning desire to make it up to everyone. They want to win back their trust and their friendship. They want to recover and restore everything that's been broken and lost. They want to make up the lost ground. And they realise they're going to have to work very hard indeed to redeem themselves in the hearts and minds of their friends. It's going to be a costly exercise to buy back their friendship and their trust. Redemption has this theme of buying back. Or here's someone who's fallen on hard times and so they go down to the old-fashioned pawnbroker's shop and they hand in a treasured family heirloom and they receive a sum of money with a little ticket. And the pawnbroker will keep that item for an agreed length of time. And if that person wants that item back, they can return to the shop with their ticket And they can buy back that item and it'll cost them the original price plus interest because the pawnbroker's not in this for charity. He's out to make a buck or two. That process of buying back that item that was originally yours is called redeeming it. Whichever way you look at it, redemption is a costly business that requires the paying of a price. And Christ has redeemed worthless, guilty sinners by the shedding of his own blood. He's paid the price of my sins and yours that all in him might go free. The price is paid. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. And God, the Father, he is satisfied with the price that Jesus paid. Has Christ paid enough? Has he paid it all? The glorious answer of the gospel is yes, he has. 
God the Father is satisfied to accept the death of Christ in the place of the sinner. God the Father is satisfied that my guilt and sin and yours has been paid for in full by Christ. God the Father is satisfied that his righteous justice has been dispensed. The sentence for sin has been carried out. And the unbelievable part is that it's Jesus who's taken it all on my behalf. And this aspect of God being satisfied with the work of Christ and that the Father has accepted the work of Christ in my place, that's what the word propitiation means. The Father is satisfied. The Lord Jesus Christ always has been, always will be the Son in whom the Father is well pleased. He still is. The Father is satisfied, fully, perfectly satisfied with the completed work of Christ. And that means that my trust in Christ is not a misplaced trust. He really has accomplished all that the Bible says he's accomplished. It means that believing in Christ is never tinged with doubt or uncertainty because my being justified is never going to be revoked or overturned. A once famous actor was released from jail last week in the USA, not because he'd been found innocent and his conviction was quashed, but because of a legal technicality which hadn't been properly observed, which hadn't been properly declared and taken into account and has nullified the whole judicial process. Uh, and those who suffered at his hands are in uproar and in complete distrust of the legal system that they thought had brought them justice and now it's all fallen apart and collapsed. You have no fear of anything like that with God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is secure. It is fixed. It is done. Because Christ has been declared the propitiation for your sins and mine. And the Father is satisfied with everything that's been done. God is pleased with God. What a difference that makes. God pleased with God. God satisfied with God in his plan of salvation for you and for me. Christ's righteousness imputed to me. My sins, my guilt imputed to Christ at the cross that all might be paid for in full. Sin's record wiped out, replaced with that perfect goodness which comes from God and is received by faith in believing. How is it with you this evening? What is the declaration that God has over your soul this evening? Are you still condemned in your sins and facing his wrath? Or do you know that in Christ your sins are forgiven? And that God's declaration over you now is that you are his child, 
forgiven, cleansed by the blood of Christ and standing before him in a perfect righteousness which is not your own but which God has imputed to you by his grace. Give me one good reason why you won't right now turn from your sins and trust in Christ. This is the way of salvation which God has had for all his people. For believers in the Old Testament, it wasn't somehow that God was just ignoring their sins. It wasn't that somehow God was passing over their sins as though it didn't really matter, verses 25 and 26. God, back then, saw their sins being dealt with by Christ at Calvary, just as he does for you and me. When we read that Abraham was declared righteous by God on account of his faith and obedience, it was also the fact that on account that 2,000 years later, after Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ will go to the cross and pay the price for Abraham's sins, that Abraham is justified before God. For Abraham, the cross lay 2,000 years in the future. For us, the cross is 2,000 years behind us. But what matters is that Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for sinners. And that that righteousness of God is God's gift of grace by faith. God has revealed and fulfilled all righteousness through his Son, Jesus Christ. God's justice has been done. He himself is the one who justifies faith alone. In Christ alone, by God's grace alone. Love of Christ, so freely given. Grace of God beyond degree. Mercy, higher than the heaven, deeper than the deepest sea. What a wonderful redemption. Never can a mortal know how my sin, though red like crimson, can be whiter than the snow. Can you say this? All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. And the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord, I see.